0: hasn't it? God has been good and God has been with you. And the good times and the low times and the mountains and valleys and different seasons of this church, God's been here all along. So we praise the Lord for that. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter number 16 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter number 16. And so glad, so excited to be here to celebrate 40 years of God's faithfulness with you today. And 40 years is a long time. And that's longer than I've been alive. So for some of you it doesn't seem that long. That's a long time to me. Uh, but I, uh, we, uh, this is a special Sunday in the life of your church. And so I appreciate you making a big deal out of it. Uh, because you ought to make a big deal out of it. And so 40 years it started. 1981 started in a basement. Isn't that incredible? A basement of a home. And then from the bowling alley and down to the beautiful facility that you have here. Uh, these, uh, it's been incredible. A lot of people say, what a joy to hear salvation testimonies today of folks who came to know Jesus because of this church. And there's been a lot of boys and a lot of girls and teenagers and men and women that have come to know Jesus because of the Victory Baptist Church. They'll be in heaven one day because of the faithfulness of this church. And we're going to celebrate that today. Praise the Lord for those who even now, 40 years later, are still uh, being ministered to and still getting help and comfort. And I found a friend and a place right here. To draw near close to God. So uh, we just uh, say thank you for your faithfulness and we look forward to another 40 years. And it's been, uh, we we don't believe the the greatest days are behind you, the greatest days are ahead of you. And if that's going to happen, the church is made up of people. Is that right? When you think about a church, the church is not a building, Uh, the church is made up of the bodies in the building. And if you're going to continue another 40 years, then we've got to be the kind of people that God uh, would have us to be. And the kind of people that uh, God can use. And so that's where really the heartbeat of my message this morning. And I hope that you'll stay with us after the service and have some lunch. Uh, we have uh, grass skirts for everybody. So we're going to have a luau. And uh, so it's going to be, I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it today. This will be one for the books. And so come and be a part of this. There's a lot of meat back there. So we're just going to have a great time today. And then we'll come back for an afternoon service and have one more challenge and then be home for the rest of the day. I love afternoon services, amen? And I go home and nap, so it'll be great. So uh, stick around. Let's have a good service here in this 11 o'clock hour. Uh, let's have a good lunch and then come back and have another good afternoon service and shut her down for the day. As the first saying of chapter number 16, as we'll be at today, I want to preach from a familiar passage of Scripture. And we begin this morning, you may not recognize it, uh, but once we get down into it, the heart of the story, you will quickly recognize uh, the place that we'll be at today, and so that'll be our text this morning, First Samuel chapter number uh, 16. It's okay, I'll stay down here, preacher. I'm not going to mess the live stream up. Good, I like to be close and personal, okay? And so if the uh, Bible had an audio by, uh, button on it, I, I would turn it up on verse number one of our text, and you would hear the sound of an old man crying. In fact, the Bible uses the word mourn in the Hebrew it's a a word that means to mourn for someone who has died. And so this is heavy mourning. This is deep grief. You say, who's crying? The old man is Samuel, and he's crying over Saul. Chapter 16, uh, verse 1 this morning, the Bible says, and the Lord said unto Samuel, how long thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? If you were to go back several chapters, you remember how Israel came to Samuel and said, Samuel, uh, we know that we have a God in heaven, we know that, uh, but we want to be like everybody else. All these other nations around us have a king that will lead them and that will fight for them, and and that'll watch over them. But we don't have a king like that. Uh, We want a king like everybody else has. We want to be like everybody else. By the way, that desire has been around a long time, hasn't it? That didn't just start with your kids or you. That desire has been around for many, many years. They say, we want to be like everybody else. We want to have a king. And so Samuel goes to the Lord and says, Lord, uh, they're asking for a king. And the Lord says, well, give them what they want. Boy, how many knows that can be a dangerous thing? And so they chose themselves as a king, and that first king was King Saul, and Saul started off well, didn't he? Uh, boy, he was humble, he could rally the people together, he led them well, uh, but boy, what a sobering warning that we receive from the life of Saul, uh, just because you begin well does not guarantee uh, that you'll end well, and how many today says, I don't just want to uh, begin well, well, I want to finish well too, how many says that? And unfortunately, he didn't do that. He begins to rebel against the Lord. He did not obey the words and the commands of God. And so finally, the Lord said, I had enough of this. And so he removes him and says, I'm going to replace you. And so here we are in chapter 16, verse 1. And Samuel is mourning over Saul. I think you would agree with me this morning that Saul was a major disappointment. Well, I don't mean to discourage you this morning, but you're going to have some disappointments in life. You say, what's a disappointment? A disappointment is an unmet expectation. You had a certain expectation about, a, about, about somebody or, or an event or some circumstance in life. Uh, but unfortunately, that a person or circumstance did not meet your expectation. And that resulted on disappointment on your end. Everybody's going to face disappointments in this life. And when you and I face disappointments, it is normal, it's natural, it's healthy uh, to grieve and to cry and even mourn over those disappointments. But listen to me. It is not normal and it's not healthy to mourn forever. And that's the implication of the question that uh, the Lord asked Samuel here. He says, how long will that mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? See, what Samuel did not realize was that God already had somebody waiting in the shadows. God already had somebody waiting in the wings to take a Saul's place. And essentially, may I say this, if you spend all your time mourning over Saul, you'll end up missing out on David. Well, that was a word. If you spend all your time mourning over Saul, you'll end up missing out on David. He says, Samuel, I want you to uh, fill the horn with oil, and I want you to go down to Bethlehem, to Jesse's house. I have provided me a king among his sons. In fact, I want you to see that in the last phrase of verse 1. He says, for I have provided. I have provided. I love that phrase, don't you? One commentator said it this way. Man panics, God provides. Man panics, God provides. There's people here this morning. You've been tossing and turning and you've been thinking, how's this going to work out? How's God going to meet this need? How's this all going to come together? Listen to me. Man panics, but God provides. You can trust Him. And so God had already provided somebody to take the place of King Saul. And so he says, I want you to fill the horn with oil. Go down to Jesse's house there in Bethlehem. And I'm going to show you who will be the next king. Verse number two says, and Samuel says, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. Isn't that just like us? God says, do this. We say, yes, sir. Then we start thinking about it. And we start. Well, how's this going to work? And how's this going to happen? And uh, when well, we start thinking about it, we start thinking about all the what ifs, and we start getting cold feet. And but Lord, but the Lord was gracious. He said, "Well, take a heifer with you. And if anybody stops you, just tell him you're going to sacrifice." He said, "Yes, sir." Well, he finally ends up there in Bethlehem, in verse number four and five. And when he arrives, the people say, uh, "Comest thou peaceably?" I mean, there's fear all over the place. And so he says, "I come peaceably." In verse five. And uh, there in verse number 5, Jesse calls his older, sevens, uh, the older sons into the house. And uh, all the older, I believe he had seven there, he calls all seven in. And I don't know if, if, if Samuel uh, told Jesse why he was there. Uh, but let, we'll just pretend that he is. So Jesse calls in his older sons. And one by one, they begin to pass before, uh, pass before Samuel. And, uh, and God says, I'm going to tell you which one it's going to be. So one by one, they pass by. And the Bible says here in verse number, seven, uh, verse number 6, And it came to pass when they were come uh, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Eliab comes in, and uh, Samuel lays eyes on him. And he thinks, My soul, this has got to be the next king. I mean, here's a young man who's, I mean, he's tall, dark, and handsome, kind of like, well, you know. And so he's tall, dark, and handsome. He carries himself like a king. He looks like a king. He sounds like a king. Surely this is the next king of Israel. But the Lord says, pass. That's not him. I think he looked up at the Lord and said, Lord, are we looking at the same young man here? And the Lord said, yes, I, that this is not him. Pass. Then he gets some commentary in verse number 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or in the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And the Lord says, Samuel, I, I am going to t- explain this to you. I don't look at people the way that you look at people. When I look at people, I see past the exterior, past the outside. I pass their appearance and I see the integrity and the character of their hearts. And apparently when God looked on Eliab, there were some things in Eliab's life that caused God to pass over him. Well, he calls him the next son. The next son, of verse number 8, is Jesse. Uh, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And once again, he's tall, dark, and handsome, looks like a king, and carries himself like a king. He says, surely this is the next king. And the Lord says, pass. That's not him. Here comes the third son, verse number 9. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And once the same thing happened again, surely this is him. And God says, no, that is not him. Well, all seven sons come one by one. Same thing happens every time. All seven sons pass by. Each time the Lord says, pass, pass, pass. And finally, I I can just see Samuel is exasperated. And he says, I mean, come on, Jesse, for crying out loud, do you have any more sons? Jesse says, I got one more. But he's the youngest and he's out back taking care of the sheep. So just think about this. If Jesse knew why Samuel was there, in essence, he called in the uh, the seven sons who he thought was the most eligible, the most qualified candidates to be the next king of Israel. He says, I got one more, but I promise, Samuel, if you're looking for the next king of Israel, it's going to be one of these seven sons that I brought here before you. I got one more, but I promise you, he's the least likely candidate to be the next king of Israel. Samuel says, call him in here. Somebody hangs their head out the back door, and they said, David, come on in the house. They want you in here. And all of a sudden, here comes about a 14, 15-year-old kid. Walks into the the house there, and uh, just a young teenager, taking care of the sheep, smells like sheep. And when he walks in, and Samuel lays eyes on him, the Lord says, that is the next king of Israel. And I think he turned back and had that initial conversation. He said, Lord, are we looking at the same one here? The Lord says, yes, that's him. Anoint him to be the next king. And the old man takes the horn of oil and he hobbles across the room. And he pours the oil on David's head and it runs down his face and it runs down the back of his neck. And I think he leans over and he whispers in David's ear and he says, David, you're the next king of Israel. Can I say this morning, God's choices are surprising. I say God's choices are surprising. It's surprising at who God chooses to use, and it's surprising at who God does not choose to use. Boy, how many times have we gone to a camp or a youth group somewhere or a church like this, and boy, there may be a young person, and you know, maybe they're, uh, boy, they just got uh, natural leadership abilities, and they got they can stand up, and they got people, public speaking skills, and they're sharp, and they look like they got it all together, and we stand back, and we think to ourselves, my soul, uh, God's going to do great things that young person you may be surprised but there's another kid in the youth group or the camp or the retreat or wherever we're at who's backwards who's introverted who can't look in the eye when he has a conversation with you I mean he can't tell jokes he doesn't even get jokes I mean he's just struggling through life and we look at a young person like that and we say my soul God will never use somebody like that you may be surprised because God's choices are surprising And here in this story, David and his own family received the shock of their life. And apparently, according to his own family, they didn't see anything in David that would lead them or warrant them to believe that God would use him in a great and mighty way. But God saw something that nobody else saw. The rest of his family saw nothing but a shepherd, but God looked at David and saw a king. And apparently there were some qualities in David's life that when God saw those qualities, it led God to say, I can use somebody like that. And let me say this this morning, the things that impress God don't impress the world. And the things that impress the world don't impress God. And apparently there were some qualities in David's life that impressed God. And when God saw those in David's life, God looked down one day and said, I can use somebody like that. This morning, I want to preach on this subject, the kind of people God uses. The kind of people... God uses. Now, I'm an expository verse-by-verse preacher, this morning, I'm going to back up and take a bird's-eye view of really this stage of David's life, and I just want to make some applications and some points that I believe we can find here clearly in the text, and just challenge with this thought, the kind of people God uses. You say, Brother Taylor, if Victory Baptist Church is going to go on for another 40 years, and even longer than that, then it's going to require some people that God can use. Can I get a witness right there? You say, Brother Taylor, how can I ensure, I I can't, I'm not i know responsible for anybody else in here, but I am responsible for me. Uh, How can I ensure that I can be the kind of person that God can use for the rest of my life and the rest of my time here at Victory Baptist Church? Number one, here's the first reason I believe that God chose David. And here's the first characteristic and quality that God is looking for in the kind of people that he uses. Number one, if God's going to use your life and God's going to use my life, first of all, you must be spiritual you must be spiritual. If you are to go back to chapter 14, uh, Samuel is having that conversation with Saul, and he says, Saul, God has rejected you. He's going to replace you. You've been disobedient. You rebelled against the Lord, and God has rejected you from being king. And he says, the next king uh, is going to be a man that God will choose. In essence, he says, y'all chose the first king, but God's going to choose the second king. And the man that God will choose, you'll find it in chapter 14, verse number 15, I believe, he says, the man that God will choose will be a man uh, after God's own heart. It'll be a man after God's own heart. And when you come to chapter 16, verse, uh, our chapter this morning, our text, we find out that that man, that young man, that teenager, that shepherd boy was David. And David was a man after God's own heart. You say, Brother Taylor, I've been here for 40 years. I've been in church all my life. I've heard that phrase in Sunday school. I've heard that phrase from my preacher. And I got a general idea of what it means to be a man or a woman or a teenager after God's own heart but, but can, can you help us with that? What does it really mean to be a man after God's own heart? It means this. It means your life is in harmony with God. It means your life is in harmony with God. In other words, when God says turn right, you turn right. When God says turn left, you turn left. When God says go, you go. When God says stop that, change it, get it out of your life, then you stop it, change it, and get it out of your life. What's important to God is important to you. What He cares about, you cares about. Uh, what grieves God grieves you. Can I ask you a question? Does that describe your relationship with God this morning? Well, I wonder today, could God say that he, she, is a man, is a woman after God's own heart? Listen to me, that's what it means to be spiritual. It's not just that you have a heart for God, it means that your heart is in tune with God. And you're walking with Him, and you're sensitive to Him, and when God speaks, you obey. Is your life in harmony with God? But don't you appreciate the fact that here, and maybe the late boyhood years of his life, maybe those early preteen years of his life, of 11, 12, 13 years old, at some point David made a personal decision that he was going to get serious about his relationship with God. He came to the place in his life when he said, "Even if my family doesn't get serious about God, even if my friends don't get serious about God, even if no one else in Bethlehem gets serious about God, I'm going to love God. I'm going to live for God." I'm going to worship God. I'm going to learn about God. I'm going to spend time with God. I'm going to live for God. He got serious about it. And by the way, it is a personal decision. And no one else can make that decision for you. Your pastor can't read the Bible for you. Your pastor can't pray for you. Your pastor can't go to church for you. At some point, you have to make a personal decision that you are going to live and for and walk with God. Have you made that decision? You say, I know I need to do that, but I'll do that one day. Well, I appreciate the young people that we have here today. How many young people, uh, that their attitude is something like this. Well, I'll get serious about God when I get to college. I'm in high school right now. I'm having a good time. I'm doing my own thing. But when I get to college, then I'll get serious about God. When I get married, then I'll get serious about God. When I have a family one day, then I'll get serious about God. One day, Brother Taylor, I'll get serious about my relationship with God. Let me ask you a question. What if one day never comes? What if this is the last year that you ever have to live for God? you better. Get get serious about God today let me say this you you are as close to God as you want to be I'm not as close to God as I like to be, I'm not as close to God as I used to be God wasn't the one that moved and the good news is you may have been living a life that's been out of harmony with God you've not been obeying his voice you may not walk with him, you may not have a prayer life, you may not spend time in his word but the good news is that can change today. And today you can make a decision to get your life back in step and back in harmony with God. And you come to God and say, God, it's been a long time since I've talked with you. It's been a long time since I've spent time with you. It's been a long time since I've heard from you. But God, I'm making a change today. I'm coming back to you. And if you come back to him, here's what you'll find. Like the prodigal son, he'll wrap his loving arms around you and welcome you back into fellowship. But it's your choice. See, God's going to have a hard time using somebody whose life is not in harmony with Him. Look, you can fake it with everybody else, but you don't fake it with God. God's looking for somebody who's the real deal, not just in public, but in private. It's easy to come and slap a little plastic smile on and pretend everything's okay and put a verse on Facebook every once in a while, and we can have everybody else faked out, but listen to me, you ain't going to fake it with God. He knows. He sees. God's looking for somebody who's spiritual. Number two, not only is he looking for someone who's spiritual, number two, he's also looking for somebody that's humble. He's looking for somebody that is humble. You say, Brother Taylor, here in chapter 16, he's anointed to be the next king of Israel. I mean, as a teenager, I can only imagine, I mean, he didn't even have a driver's license yet. What did in the world did he do, and how did he act after he got anointed to be the next king? Well, here's what he didn't do. He didn't throw a parade for himself downtown to celebrate his new position. He didn't strap a crown on his head and start barking out orders to everybody. You say, well, what did he do? Well, the text tells us. Verse number 14 of our text today, chapter 16, the Bible says, "...but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him." And so here he is, Saul is troubled, and he, and he calls out, he says, can somebody find a musician that can play some music that will soothe uh, my heart and my mind? And somebody speaks up, they say, well, we know one person, David, Jesse's boy. Jesse is a skilled musician. So they went and got Jesse, and they brought Jesse. And uh, notice what the Bible says here in verse number 19. Wherefore, Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, send me David thy son. Notice this phrase, which is with the sheep. He just got anointed to be the next king. Well, go to chapter 17. The Bible Scripture is setting of the scene but in the valley of Elam against uh, Goliath and God's people. And the Bible says in verse number 12, Now David was the son of the Ephratite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. Uh, verse number 13, And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. Uh, verse number 14, And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. Uh, verse 15, But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem notice it goes on to say verse number 17 Jesse's about to send David to check on the brothers on the battlefield and send the uh, the cheese and the other snacks and the Bible says let's just go, drop down to verse number 20 and David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper here was a young man anointed to be the next king of Israel and it seems like any time they wanted him to do anything, they had to pull him off of the sheep. Now listen to me, taking care of the sheep, being a shepherd, that was the lowliest job in Israel. In fact, he was the youngest. That why, that's why it was his job. It was the lowliest job. But even though he was anointed to be the next king of Israel, he never got too big to do the little things. Listen to me. You say, I don't think it's a big deal. It was a big deal to God. And was one of the reasons why I believe that God chose him to be the next king of Israel. David evidenced that he had humility. He was a man of humility. He never got too big to do the little things. In other words, even though the oil was put on his head, it never went to his head. I right, right. love that story of D.L. Moody. I love him. i probably got more his biographies on my shelf than anybody else. And I love his story. I love the stories about him. I love sermon illustrations that involve him. I love the story of the days of Northfield up there in Massachusetts when he would have the Bible conference. He invited a group of pastors from England to come to the Bible conference. And they came, and after the service, they began to retire. I guess it was in a dormitory type setting. And as those English pastors went to bed that night, they left their shoes out in front of the doorways. Well, and, and where they come from, and then that day in England, they would have hall servants who would come along at nighttime and clean the shoes and prepare them uh, for the next day. Uh, but this, the only problem was this was not in England, and there were no hall servants here. Well, D.L. Moody discovered the uh, situation, and so he went around and tried to get uh, some of the young seminary students there to help clean the shoes, but his uh, pleas for help were met with indifference and silence. Young preachers. Listen, when everybody else went to bed that night, Dale Moody, the great evangelist, the evangelist that shook two continents for the cause of Christ. D.L. Moody went around that night and gathered all the shoes up and took them to his room and there began to clean the shoes and prepare them for the next day and it would have gone unknown except for a friend stumbled in upon him and discovered what was taking place that day. You say, preacher, why do you believe that God used D.L. Moody in such a magnificent way? I don't have all the answers, but I believe one of the answers was the fact that D.L. Moody never got too big to do the little things. See, the fact of the matter is, if you're too big to do the little things, then you're probably too small to do the big things. Listen to me. God's looking for some people who would just be humble servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. You're not too big to help with the dishes. You're not too big to take the trash out. You're not too big to mow the lawn. You're not too big to fold the laundry. You say, did we come to hear this this morning? Yes, you did come here to hear this this morning. When someone asks you to do something and you begin to bristle against that and resist against it like you're too big to do that job. Red flag, pride. I'm not saying you live your life as a doormat and let people walk all over you. Come on now. Listen to me. We're just humble servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever needs to get done, however can help. You may get to the place in your life, especially some of you older folks in business, where you have people under you, where you don't have to do every job, but you should never get to the place where you're unwilling to do every job. Right. Right. Everybody okay this morning? Because the kind of people God uses are those who are humble. And when you get to the place, when you're too big to do the little things, and you're so filled with pride, come on now. God says, I have a hard time using somebody like that. Right. But you show me somebody who's humble who He's willing to serve whenever, wherever, doesn't matter what the job is, I'm here to get it done. God can use somebody like that. Well, how often? We're in a church. I think I've shared this before, but how often in a church? Well, maybe today, after a fellowship meeting, and we preach revivals. We had one wonderful time last year, and many of y'all helped. I brought food each night. We appreciate that. It happens all the time in our lifestyle, what we do. And man, when, when it's done, you know, if you're raised with any sort of decency, you help clean up. You know. And so you're usually stacking chairs somewhere, carrying a table, you know, just helping. amen. So sometimes I'll be on the back of a table and then be like an assistant pastor, youth pastor in the front end. And as we're carrying that table across the, the whatever the room, and I'll slap up and, and, and slap his arm and half joking, half not say, "Ha, ha You know, brother, uh, you never graduate from the table and chair ministry. Ha ha ha. Some people do. See, some people are like blisters. They show up after the work's done. When it comes time to serving, we ought not be looking to get out. We ought to be looking to get in. We ought to be all the the time asking, how can I help? What can I do? So there's people in this room right now, some that are confined to a wheelchair, who wish with everything in their heart they could be here and serve all the time. They're willing to, but they don't have the ability. If there's other people in this room that have the ability to, but they're just not willing. Listen, God says, you show me somebody who's serving, and who wants to serve, and who desires to serve, and who is willing to serve, and that's somebody I can use. Listen to me. God, help us. And by the way, you don't just make one trip down to the altar and have pride with for the rest of your life. We need to trip down to the altar every morning and say, God, I know me in my natural fallen condition. I'm filled with pride. So, God, would you rip it out of me today because I want to walk in humility before you. The Bible says that Jesus, he came not to be be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen, he was a servant. The Bible says Jesus came and took upon the form of a servant. Come on now. If we're going to be like Jesus, that means we're going to be a servant. God's looking for spiritual people. People whose lives are in harmony with him. Number two, he's looking for humble people. People who are not too big to do the little things. And then lastly, number three, and we'll go eat Number three, he was faithful. Number one, he was spiritual. Number two, he was humble. And number three, he was faithful. He was faithful. When you consider chapter 16, once again, just a bird's eye view this morning, uh, David was raised up in Bethlehem. And uh, to you and I, we know Bethlehem. We sing about it at Christmas time because of Jesus being born there because of David. We are well familiar with Bethlehem today, but that was not the case when David was growing up. Had he been traveling out and about and someone stopped him and said, Son, where uh, where are you from? Uh, He would have said, "Uh, uh, you've never heard of it. In fact, people at home yesterday asked me as I was coming today. I said, "Uh, you've never heard of it. So you can identify with that. But long before anybody knew who David was, long before his name was a household name, long before anybody ever knew where Bethlehem was, Here is a young man in the shadows and in the secrets. When nobody else was watching, it was just faithful to God. And when nobody else saw it, listen to me, God saw it. And God looked down one day and said, well, if he can be faithful in private, then I believe I can trust him to be faithful in public. In fact, the matter is, most of you that serve in a church like this, you serve behind the scenes. Some of you come from a generation and just the character of your heart that if people knew what you did for God around here, you would be embarrassed. In fact, one of the great compliments of your church, your pastor said in the passing yesterday, he says, man, our people want to serve and I'm running out of stuff to give them to do. Listen, that's a great thing. But most of you that are going to serve, it's going to be behind the scenes. And the things that you do for God, nobody but God is going to see. And if you're not careful, as you serve behind the scenes and in private and in secret, if you're not careful, you'll start to think, well, nobody ever acknowledges me. Maybe nobody appreciates me. If you're not careful, discouragement will seep into your heart. And listen to me, you'll begin to throw in the towel and give up and stop serving. Come on now, we're all prone to that. But listen to me, if nobody else sees what you do, he sees what you do. And if nobody else acknowledges it, he acknowledges it. And I'm going to reiterate this in the next service too. There's a God in heaven who's taking notes. And he's watching. When nobody else sees, he's watching. And he's taking notes. And he's making a list. And listen to me, one day at the reward, the judgment seat, that'll be rewarded. Keep on being faithful, even in obscurity. He was not just faithful in obscurity, he was also faithful with monotony. He was faithful with monotony. Think about this, being a shepherd, it was the same thing every day of his life. Feed the sheep, lead the sheep, uh, take them to the green pastures, lead them to the still waters. It was the same thing day in, day out, every day of his life. But listen to me, he was faithful to do it. Well, it's easy to be faithful with something when it's new and exciting. But when the new and the exciting wears off and you're still faithful then, that's a big deal. See, it's important how you uh, fill those assignments out at work. It's important how you carry out the task in your day-to-day life at home and at work. It's, it's important how you do the homework at school. Come on now. See, David didn't realize it then, but this was God's training ground for him. And God was instilling character into his life to prepare him for what light ahead in the ep- upcoming chapters. So you better be faithful in every season of life that you're in. Because God's working in your life, preparing you for the next chapter that you're going to be in. Listen to me. Be faithful with the monotonous. Be faithful with the routine things and the everyday things. The things that we don't really get excited about. We don't necessarily like to do. Be faithful with those things. And I believe God looked down out of heaven one day and said, Well, if He can be faithful with the little things, then I believe I can trust Him to be faithful with the big things. And by the way. If you and I are not faithful with the little things. He won't trust us to be faithful with bigger things. Right. Faithfulness is a big deal to God. He was faithful in obscurity. He was faithful in the monotony. But he was also faithful with reality. You say preacher. When I think about David. I think of a young man. He was a worshiper. in the psalmist of Israel. I just think of a young man. Who just kind of walked around with his heads in the clouds all day. I don't think so. He was faithful with reality. You say, what do you mean? You come to chapter 17, and the battle of, with Goliath is taking place. Uh, Goli- uh, David shows up on the battlefield there. He, he hears the taunts uh, from Goliath coming from the other side, and he says, why doesn't somebody deal with him? And everybody else lists off their excuses. And finally David said, well, I'll take care of him. <laughs> they begin to laugh at him and say, son, what do you know about taking care of a giant? He says, let me tell you about it. He says, back in Bethlehem, on the backside of the pastures of my father's fields, as I was taking care of the sheep, one day a bear showed up. And one day a lion showed up. And with God's help, I overcame the lion and I overcame the bear. And I know with God's help, because of the past victories, I know with God's help, I can overcome that giant and get the victory over him as well. See, if you never learn to overcome the the lions and the bears in your life, you'll never learn to overcome the giants in your life. You better deal with the hard stuff now. See, now's the time to get, learn how to get those prayers answered. Now's the time to learn how to overcome that sin. Now's the time to learn how to persevere through those trials. You better deal with the lions and the bears in this chapter because there's going to be some giants in the next chapter. Whatever hard thing that, has, that God's put in front of you or life has put in front of you that you keep refusing to deal with and you won't take care of. See, in, in God's school, you don't skip classes. You don't go to the next grade until you complete the grade that you're in. Everybody okay this morning? Listen, we've got to be faithful with reality. God's going to have a hard time using somebody whose life is not in harmony with Him. God's going to have a hard time using somebody too big to do the little things. and God's going to have a hard time with somebody who's just simply not faithful. But you show me a man that's spiritual, a man a woman that's faithful, and a man a woman that's just humble. And God says, I can use somebody like that. That's the kind of people that God uses. Now, I'd be remiss to let this service go without saying this. David had a relationship with God. This is not a religious thing. This was a real relationship with the living God of heaven. And listen to me. I want to ask you a question. Do you have one? You say, I don't want to waste my life. I want God to use me. Well, the first step is having a relationship with God. And you've got to go through the Son to get through the Father. There's only one way that you can be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. That all says that God loves you. Wonder of wonders, God loves you. Even though you're a sinner, even though you have rebelled against Him, even though you have offended Him with your sin, That God still loves you this morning. Is that good news? In fact, He loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for your sin. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth and He died and shed His blood. He took the crown, crown of thorns for you. He took the nails for you to die for your sin so that you could be forgiven. In other words, Jesus came to earth so you could go to heaven. And there on that old rugged cross, He shed His red, royal, sinless blood to pay for every sin that you've ever committed. Past, present, and future, Jesus paid for with His own blood on the cross of Calvary. He was buried for you, and three days later, He rose again from you from the dead. And that Jesus is in heaven today. And if you come to the place in your life when you confess that you're a sinner, God, I have broken your law. I have sinned against you. God, I am a sinner. And by the way, it only takes one sin to disqualify you from heaven and destine you to hell. If you die in your sin today, you'll die and go to a hot burning hell for all of eternity. Forever separated from God without hope. If you die without Jesus, you'll die and go to hell. But if you come to the place when you confess that you're a sinner... You believe in your heart that when Jesus died on the cross, He was dying for you and your sin, and He was buried for you, and He rose again for you, and you believe that He is the only way to heaven. It's not baptism. It's not joining the church. It's not membership. It's not baptism. It's not putting money in the plate. But it's Jesus alone. Jesus is not a good way to heaven. He's not the best way to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And when you simply call on him and say, Jesus, I need to be saved. Jesus, would you forgive me this morning of every sin I've ever committed? Jesus, would you give me eternal life? Jesus, would you save me and come into my heart and life and be my personal Savior? You can be saved today. And no one else can make the decision but you. I can't make it for you. Your mama can't make it for you. Your daddy can't make it for you. Your spouse can't make it for you. Only you can make that decision. And so if you've never made that decision, then today would be on the 40th anniversary of this church. Today could be the day that you come to Jesus and you could be saved this morning. Would you do that? Would you make that decision today? Are you the kind of people that God can use? Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for 40 years of faithfulness. And Lord, I, I really do believe the greatest years. And we don't take away anything for the past 40 years. We celebrate that. We rejoice in that. But Lord, by faith, we believe the greatest days of Victory Baptist Church are the days ahead. How he says, Brother Taylor, I, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm glad for what God has done in this church over these 40 years. But I don't believe that God's done yet. I believe there's greater days ahead. I believe God still wants to use our church to impact this community.